Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it, and one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others on how they're handling their own lives. So if you follow us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, then you know that we have a new series taking place currently called The Women of Film and Television. With mostly everyone in some sort of quarantine at the moment, many of us are consuming a ton of film and TV. So I thought it would be fun to highlight the talented women that work in the industry in hopes that it will allow you to see all the different aspects and individuals involved in a production. Now our third guest of the series is actor, writer, producer, and director Lin Chen, who will be talking with us today about her film I Will Make You Mine, which had its digital release yesterday on May 26th. Not only does I Will Make You Mine mark Lin Chen's filmmaking debut, but it is also the third part of the Surrogate Valentine trilogy that was created by David Boyle. And it was selected to premiere at the 2020 South Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. The film is about three women, Rachel, Erica, and Ye Ming, who are each dealing with the complications of life and growing older. While their lives are completely different from one another, they each share a complicated history with the same man, musician Go Nakamura. And when Go re-enters each of their lives, all three women must confront their past while also dealing with their realities. I'm really excited to have Lynn on and have her discuss what it was like directing and starring in her own film as she plays the character of Rachel. Now, since we'll be discussing the film, some light spoilers may come up, but nothing too serious. Other than that, I think it's time for you to listen. So get yourselves comfortable, turn up the volume and enjoy. Lynn, thank you for coming on. I'm so, so excited to kick off this conversation and to hear your journey and, you know, how you got involved in filmmaking and acting. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. It's nice to talk to people. And um, that outside in Los Angeles taking a walk right now. So there's nothing I'd rather be doing right now. Yeah. So you've, you know, you've starred in a, a number of films. And this year, though, I think, I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like you've been pretty, pretty busy. <laughs> it has been a really, really busy year, even just like acting wise. When I the, the last year when I finished uh, directing, I pretty much worked nonstop everything from commercials to I shot a recurring role on Shameless. And then I did two movies back to back, Pulling the Paradise and See You Then, where I was the star of both of those movies. So I was in every single every single shot. And usually I'm not. Not the um, that much of a leading role. I mean, I'm usually like a leading role, but not like the lead. So um, that those are that's, that's very exhausting <laughs> uh, to to do two movies back to back, especially when they're scrappy indies. So um, I definitely like had been really looking forward to just being a filmmaker mm-hmm. for a while and just going, um, you know, on the festival circuit, traveling around with the movie and just enjoying it and being an audience and. Um, but so I thought this was going to be that time, that period of my life, but it's not. <laughs> so, uh, su- surprisingly, uh, like everyone else, you change plans and adjust and readjust. Right, right. Now, I mean, like I said, you've been acting uh, for quite some time. Was that your initial career? I mean, did you always know you wanted to be an actor or, you know, did you start off doing something else? No, I always knew. I was like that annoying girl who would like sing in the hallways in <laughs> high school. You know, like I always knew. I'd been I'd been performing since I was five because my mom was an opera singer, and so 
Um, I would be, I was in the children's chorus at the Metropolitan Opera House when I was growing up. And so I was always performing. I was around performers. It, it felt very at home to me. And it's something that came really naturally to me. I, I, I'm not somebody who gets stage fright. Um, so it, um, it was something I always wanted to do. And, and honestly, up until I wrote the script for I Will Make You Mine, I, I had, um, I toyed with the idea of doing something behind the camera um, because I've been in the industry as long as I have. Mm -hmm. Everyone's always said, you know, you got to create your own content. Um, but I, I never really was that interested in um, doing that for for narrative film because just because it's so hard. I had done non-scripted things for a while. I, I used to host a podcast. I had a blog for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, I was used to that sort of stuff where you can, you know, turn out content on your own. But there's like, when it comes to narrative things there's a um there's a level of perfection <laughs> sure. adhere to. i shouldn't say perfection but there's like a, a certain level that you have to adhere to and a lot of it requires help and, and money from other people mm -hmm. in order to make it look and sound and appear a certain way and um i just wasn't interested in it i was just really happy being an actor um in that world so uh, it never really was something that I that I wanted to do. Um, and the only reason it happened was because I had been in these two movies, uh, the two movies in the trilogy that I Will Make You Mine ended up being the third movie for, which was the Surrogate Valentine series. Right. Uh, it was a black and white indie series written and directed by a filmmaker named Dave Boyle. Mm -hmm. And I played the love interest in the first movie. In the second movie, uh, there were two other love interests and me, so it turned into a little love triangle. And every end of these movies, there would always be this cliffhanger of um, trying to figure out where the lead, who is, um, he's, a, he's a musician named Go Nakamura, who plays a version of himself, mm -hmm. of who he would end up with. And also these two movies, even though they were in black and white and they had like this very... Um, you know, cinematic quality to them. They were still these very light, funny movies. And they had always, uh, when they when they toured around with the film festivals in 2011 and 2012, David always said that it was going to be a trilogy. He joked that it would be the lowest budget trilogy ever made. Mm -hmm. And so when years had passed and nothing was happening and, you know, Dave went on to make other movies and win awards and um, I went on to do other things and sort of go and, but then, you know, we all became friends, and, and so casually I just asked Dave, you know, when are you going to third movie? Because I want to do it. I'm not doing anything right now. <laughs> Thinking he would just write it and make it happen and the end. Sure. But he, he told me he wasn't going to do it. He had zero interest in it. It just broke my heart. And mm -hmm. I just, something in me was like, well, what if, what if I do it? And he surprised me by being like, okay. You can do it. I'll let you, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give you my blessing and I'll help you. Mm -hmm. When he said that, it just was like, oh my God, opportunity. Like Dave is an established filmmaker. If he's like offering to help me, I can't let this go. I at least have to try, right? Oh, definitely. So I, um, the next day I, I, I was on a flight to Boston for Thanksgiving and I just opened my computer and I had never written a feature film script before. I'd written a pilot but that's about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just started writing and it just, it just came to me so easily. It's one of those things like we always hear uh, artists when you're in the flow state, um, 
Mm -hmm. You got to go with it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I did. I just, I just kept going with it. And a week later uh, on the flight back, I finished that first draft and I sent it to him. And, you know, to my surprise, both he and Go, who were the ones I sent it to, were like, this is, this is good. Let's, Mm -hmm. Let's keep working on this. And so we did a couple more drafts, um, kickstarted the movie, and then we made it. And, and, and that's the story. And then we got into South by Southwest. And uh, before we got into South by, we ended up selling it for video distribution with mm-hmm. Gravitas. And they are going to re-release the first two movies as well. So it's kind of like, um, it's more than I could have imagined when, right. when I turned to Dave <laughs> and I said to him, when are you going to finish this? I never imagined that this was what was going to end up happening from it. But right. it, it, it took on a life of its own a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, I just, it felt so right that I, I just went with it. Even though it was so hard, I still went with it because it was that state of flow. And I, and, and after 30 plus years in this industry, that's rare. And I know it. Mm-hmm. So when you see it, you got to you gotta keep sweating yeah. <laughs> when, 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 that, when that opportunity presents itself. Definitely. So that's that's such a crazy story, you know, that this film almost never happened. And I'm so glad you decided to go ahead and write it and direct it because, I mean, these characters clearly had so much more progression and development to endure. And I I really, really just enjoyed seeing the, you know, having watched, I haven't watched the, the first two films yet, Surrogate Valentine or Daylight Savings, but I've seen the trailers and read into them a little bit. And it's, I really love that with I Will Make You Mine, you know, you explored this, the later parts of life, like marriage yeah. and kids and, you know, uh, parents and, and family and just going into all of that. I think it was a really interesting take. Well, I also wanted to show this feminine perspective, you know, like mm-hmm. part of that was because even though I know Go so well now, after all these years of knowing him, I couldn't write his voice anymore. Mm-hmm. And part of me wanted, I wondered what it was about these women that he had in these first two movies, these women like myself, who I, the character I played, Rachel, mm-hmm. who would just show up, say the perfect thing, and then walk away. And you know, isn't that right. the case with most women in movies? Definitely. Like, your manic pixie <laughs> dream girl who just shows up, says like an, something so esoteric and perfect and then just like <laughs> walks away and you're like... Who is that woman? <laughs> um, and that's what I wanted to show. I wanted to show beneath the mask of women and what we do every single day from the second we wake up and we put on that first layer of foundation to the end of the day, what is it that is lurking underneath what we present to the world? And these women, I found out that even though they're so different from one another, mm-hmm. they all represent a side of me that I have experienced in those, you know, five years that passed when Surrogate uh, Valentine Daylight Savings first came about, when I was younger, more naive, less bitter, <laughs> <laughs> and the person I am today, knowing, oh, is it too late? It, you know, you, you so often feel mm-hmm. like there's an expiration date on your dreams. Everyone always thinks you're going to be happy once you get to a certain place, and then you get there and you realize this was it, or I'm still not there. And I think everyone can relate to that. And that's why there's many parts of us. And I wanted to show that side through these three women. Definitely. And I mean, I, I feel like you really, you know, nailed that in, in terms of making them so relatable. I, I felt like I related to, 
each each woman as well. And I wanted to say, did I read that you did the costuming as well for the film? <laughs> yes, because we had no budget. So not only was I not only was I doing all the costumes and like providing my own clothes for a lot of it. And most of the actors provided their own clothes and I just helped them with like you know, literally a Pinterest board. Mm-hmm. But um I even like made the props, some some of them. I, I had an amazing production designer, Ashley Bussell, and she did a lot of the work, but like I would make chia seed pudding in the morning, <laughs> three of them, and like bring them to set and be like, I, I got, we got to refrigerate that chia seed pudding, and I got to steam the clothes, and I got to direct this movie, and I got to be in it. Like, it was a Incredible. Well, I was going to say, I really enjoyed the costuming. I mean, I feel like... Oh, thank you. I, I, yeah, they really encapsulated the femininity of, you know, Rachel per se, and then the edginess and grunginess of uh, Ye Ming's character. I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's something that I've really, um, in the last few years, um, I used to be a food blogger for a while. And then I, when I found out I had celiac and couldn't eat gluten anymore. My food career just suddenly was over, and I, mm-hmm. I still really enjoy blogging, so I just sort of delved into the lifestyle makeup world a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not myself, but, like, more that I was becoming obsessed with, like, influencers, quote-unquote. And um, because of that, I, I just was so fascinated to see how much a person can change or feel like a different person once you put on a certain, you know, makeup or nail polish or outfit and all those can be like sides of yourself. And I just love being able to explore that. It was a lot of fun for me, actually, making those Pinterest boards and showing um, everyone, you know, my idea of what their character was. That's awesome. So one of the other questions I was going to ask as well is, you know, having Surrogate Valentine and Daylight Savings, you know, having these two films to sort of, you know, either follow in Dave Boyle's footsteps, but also have your own voice um, with I Will Make You Mine. How did you want to keep the film similar yet, you know, put your own twist on it in terms of directing and its style? So the first two movies are also shot in black and white. Mm -hmm. Uh, My movie is also shot in black and white. And actually, we ended up using for the movie uh, a monochrome camera, the red monochrome camera that uh, David Fincher uh, uses and it's there's only a few of them in the world wow, so yeah. um, that means that like when you when you film it it films in black and white like in it in, rather than like the other two movies which were filmed in color and then we uh, mm-hmm. process them in black and white uh, in post so you have this like really deep rich hue um, we use these anamorphic lenses which means that like it's super 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 wide lens and really really you know like like dramatic and mm-hmm. because of that, I felt like it showed a progression for these characters. Um, it like they grew up, and so did the look of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how I tied it to the first two, and obviously also the same characters, and a little bit of the same humor. But um, for the most part, it was just like a, a much more serious and much more grounded uh, film than the first two. But you still have like similar music. Go's music is in the first two. This third one has more of Ye Ming's music in it. Right. But um, for the most part, like you still had the same black and white and the same music. Well, one thing that I really loved, one addition, I will say, is the young girl who played Sachiko. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Is she the cutest thing? <laughs> she was adorable. Yeah, she was adorable. Yeah. 
We really lucked out with Ayami, with casting Ayami, because mm -hmm. uh, when I wrote the character of Sachiko, you know, everyone always tells you, do not write a child into a script, especially a low-budget script, because you have to work <laughs> around their hours, you know, like they can only work a certain number, and they're unpredictable, and, mm -hmm. you know, all of it. You're, you just, like, shouldn't be doing that, uh, especially your first time out. <laughs> but I had to give Go a daughter. I right. had to make it a, a, a girl because I wanted to surround him with women. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, like, just pummel him with women. Because <laughs> the first two movies, he's, like, just with dudes all the time. So um, I wanted to give him a girl. And we instead of um, doing a casting call, a formal casting call, uh, especially because we couldn't afford a casting director, mm -hmm. I ended up, you know, asking just a lot of my friends to be in this movie. Mm -hmm. But um, with her, she's actually goes niece. And oh, wow. the way I found her was once um, when I had, right after I finished uh, writing the movie, which was Thanksgiving, about a few weeks later, Abe, my husband, was watching Go's Instagram, and he posted a video of Ayami singing Jingle Bells, like screaming oh. her head off, and he like basically forwarded it to me and said, I found your Sachiko. <laughs> and when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, she's perfect. She looks like Go. She's crazy and things. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> she's like, I like, this is absolutely perfect. The whole package. Him. So I asked him, and, you know, he was, like, very protective of her, even though she was, like, modeling mm -hmm. and stuff. You know, she still lives in the Bay Area. It's not exactly right. easy for, like, a kid to just come down <laughs> for, like, a few days in L.A. and shoot. And she had never done a movie before either. But, oh, wow. You know, because they're family and because they're awesome and because she was so perfect, um, <laughs> it really worked out, you know, um, even though there were some issues, like, for example, um, she lost her two front teeth. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You can't, you can't exactly, like, fake that <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. continuity. So um, we had two different shoots. We had one in August and one in November, just logistically, because one of my actresses had just had a baby, so we had to wait for her to recover uh, after she had given birth. So mm -hmm. in those months, Ayami lost her two front teeth, and then when she came back... I had to like shoot, I had to be really creative with how we filmed her of, you know, shooting from the side mm -hmm. or shooting her from behind, or instead of like saying things, she would have to just say, mm -hmm, or, uh, uh, or shake her head or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it all worked out. She, she did really, really well. Oh, yes. I mean, I loved one of my favorite scenes and spoiler alert for all those who haven't seen it yet, but one of my favorite scenes is when, you know, go plays guitar in front of her for the first time. And it's just such mm -hmm. a sweet moment. And I, I'm so glad you included that because th that as well is an interesting relationship to explore is one between a father and daughter. Yeah, no, absolutely. I felt like it was, you know, that, and that was a, like a real reaction, you know, that she was having watching basically her uncle mm -hmm. play an entertainer, which she has seen before, but she just loves it. And there's something about like, a, yeah, you're, Musicians are like gods. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone can see it. Even children, even young children are able to witness the magic that art can bring, especially live music. Right, right. Well, and you had mentioned this earlier on, but, you know, when we talked about the three women, the three characters of the film, um, Rachel, Erica, and uh, Yeming, how did you relate to each of them? Or was there a specific character you really related to the most? 
I I do relate to all of them, and I don't know what I relate to more. I guess it just depends on like what when you're catching me in my time of life. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel, even though um, she's like very, she has everything she wants and needs, like physically, she's got a husband, she's got a great house, she's got a good wardrobe. She doesn't have to work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, she's but she's miserable. You know, she's like feels like she's trapped. Her husband's cheating on her. She's got like these appearances that she has to like keep up. She just is really really unhappy she has everything she wants and yet she feels completely discontent and i can totally relate to that um 95 of the time sometimes um then there's ye ming who um is free-spirited and she's an artist but she just feels like she's behind everybody she just does not have her shit together mm-hmm. and i feel like almost <laughs> I, I waver from like i have everything i need to like why don't I have everything <laughs> I'm so far behind where I think I should be I'm nowhere near owning a house, I'm nowhere near, like, I just feel, like, so behind all my other friends who have children and mortgages and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And then you have Erica, who's a mom and is just exhausted. She is just, like, over. She feels the weight of her age. Mm-hmm. She feels the weight of all of the unfulfilled dreams that she has that she just is just too tired to deal with and her frustrations with her relationship with go. Um, she's just like, everything is a drag. on mm-hmm. her, And I totally relate to that. Too. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. But like at the same time, also I relate to go mm-hmm. and that, you know, he is this artist who um, sort of like put his dreams on hold to live life realistically. And he's just sort of on autopilot. Um, it's like, I'm okay. I'm good. This is fine. But still has this yearning, you know, to mm-hmm. be more. But doesn't feel like he can really keep, you know, he can't really keep doing it at this point. It's not like he didn't try. And as somebody who's been acting for 30 years, I know what that's like <laughs> at least once every few months. Of course. Of course. Well, and then, you know, given that our, our podcast is handling it and, you know, we explore everybody's like how they're handling their different ups and downs through life and through their work. Um, mm-hmm. What challenges did you face while whether it be directing or writing or producing and starring in this film that um, you enjoyed and how did you how did you handle them? You know, I was really lucky in that I surrounded myself with really really experienced filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's this, I, even though there were so many challenges, I inherently just completely 1000% trusted everybody that I worked with. So I just trusted them to do their job and make decisions when I couldn't make them. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I'd say, you know, some of the things that were surprising to me were almost um, after the shoot was done. Like, obviously, everyday shooting is like a, a like a circus. Like, there's just so many things that go wrong, and you just deal with them. And thank God, you know, I had this great team that could pick me up. But um, once you're done and everyone's gone, mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared for the um, emotional feeling that you get after. In fact, I, I wrote an article for Filmmaker Magazine called, like, uh, I forget what it's called, but it was basically about how, like, I felt like I had postpartum depression. And I, I, I didn't, I felt like I wasn't prepared for it. Nobody told me that filmmakers go through that. And once I started talking to other creatives, like even, even um, authors, like I talked to Susan Orlean, who's a very accomplished author. And she's like, oh yeah, every time I finish a book, it's like that. 
and and I didn't realize that you know when you I think um, as an actor I sometimes have a hard time letting go of a character after I've inhabited them for a few months and letting mm-hmm. them go always feels a little bit sad but when you have written every single character and you've lived in all of their minds for so long mm-hmm. you really get to know them they become your friends and when they're gone it just feels so sad like you've like lost <laughs> this party that has like been part of your life for so long and I just wasn't prepared for that mm-hmm. um so that was really really challenging and then you know no one else could go through it except for me because right. it wasn't as important to anybody else as it was to me, or it wasn't as like all encompassing to anybody else as it was to me. Um, and of course, like the editing process was really challenging, not only because once you're editing, you have what you have. It's not like you can like just go, you can go back and shoot more, but we didn't have that kind of a budget just to like pick up and do another film shoot, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you just have to problem solve and, and get really creative in ways that are very challenging. And for me personally, it was very challenging because my husband was my editor. Mm-hmm. And he and oh, I, wow. even though we've been together for 20-something years, we had never worked together in that capacity before mm-hmm. where I basically was saying things to him like, well, I'm the director. That's why. <laughs> A whole new <laughs> dynamic, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, okay. But it's true at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. you do have to, like, at the end of the day, what I say does go. Even if you don't, Mm -hmm. even if your professional opinion proves otherwise, like ultimately it's my voice that I have to trust. And that is just so hard, especially, you know, when somebody you love and trust as much as I love and trust my husband is telling me his opinion and it goes against what I'm thinking. At the end of the day, I Mm -hmm. have to go with what I feel is right. Um, And and that's just, that's so hard. And I didn't expect it. And um, yeah, I, I... I encourage other people who create and work with their, um, their significant others to just really like have things in place beforehand. <laughs> Cause I think we just went into it naively, like what could go wrong? Right. And then like, you know, like wasting so much time, like fighting over something that could, that honestly, I don't even remember what we were fighting about, but at the moment <laughs> it felt like the most important thing ever. And now we have like, like now that we're, you know, self quarantining and, around each other times we like are prepared now we're like we have safety words we have, <laughs> we, have we have things in place for, for if we're getting things are getting out of hand so that we don't have to like you know the things aren't just like running amok when when um the proverbial shit hits the fan right <laughs> Well, that's interesting to hear you, you know, talk about letting go, because I feel like that was, at least for me, a big theme that I took away from I Will Make You Mine is, you know, the process of letting go and moving moving on and moving forward and, you know, just continuing on, like, the messy and complicated ways of life. Because um, I feel like that's something that Rachel definitely experienced. And even in a way, Erica as well, sort of letting go, letting, literally letting go, <laughs> go on and fulfill his dream and letting go yeah. of any, you know, hesitations and, and feelings she had about that. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like I always, I just have so much trouble because I get so nostalgic. I love the feeling of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I really love to live in it. I think maybe it's because I went to summer camp at a young age. (laughs) I just love that feeling of missing everyone from camp and wanting it to be the way it was at camp. 
um, wanting things to be as they aren't. And it's just so much a part of being an adult. Sure. Not living in that fantasy and like being part of the reality of life. But like, but when you, but but on the other hand, like when you're too much in that, that's not healthy either. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, it seems to be like, as you get older, like people lean more and more into that reality. And that's, that's a dangerous thing too. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, I mean, this was such a great conversation. One thing I'm really, you know, excited to hear though, do you have any, I feel like 2019 was a big year for female directors. Um, I, I feel like in the, in terms of, you know, mainstream, uh, film and feature big feature films, um, there was a lot out there in 2019 and continuing on in 2020 that was directed by women and produced by women. So were there any films from the past year or maybe recently that came out that were directed by uh, women that you would recommend? Oh, man. Like, I feel like there are so many. I but Right now, I can't think of any of them. Of course, The Farewell. Right, um, yes. Lang's feature film starring Aquafina and Tai Ma and other people that I actually know. That Like, it's just so crazy to me. Um, Asian Americans right now are really starting to be seen in a way that I mm-hmm. feel like I've been waiting my whole life to see them represented in this way. Um, and it's just so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so her movie, of course, and just like everything she does is just like, she's so fun to follow on Twitter or social, social media. Uh, both of them are both Lulu and Aquafina. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just so refreshing to me to see, um, people who have been marginalized for sure. their entire lives and my entire life now, like finally getting to play with everyone else. Like we're, we get to play kickball. Yeah. <laughs> <Finally>. <laughs> yeah. I loved the farewell. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And I mean, just everything about it. I really love the story of it as well. Um, I had seen a bunch of interviews that Lulu did talking about it and, you know, it literally was a huge reflection of her own life. So I, I always think it's interesting when a director takes, um, pieces or in some aspects, a whole scenario that happened in their lives and incorporated into their work. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I also really, another movie that has popped into my head was, uh, Greta Gerwig's um, little Women. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and and I just, I just you know, like, of course, preparing to direct my movie, I had rewatched Lady Bird, like, three or four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because there's something about seeing another actor who is, like, takes the reins and just does it mm-hmm. that was so inspiring to me because when I first started acting, people really wanted me to stay in your lane. I mean, not mm-hmm. only could you not talk about other or try to do other things but you weren't even supposed to talk about your your significant other people were supposed to have this shrouded mystery about you so you'd stay mysterious so nobody could like put their views on you you had to like really be this blank canvas Mm -hmm. and i love that today through social media uh, not only women but like actors in general can share all sorts of parts of themselves and not give the power to other people to be the re- the way that they connect with their audience. Right. And so 
I love seeing other actors create stuff for themselves. I think I, I completely understand where they're coming from because it is a fear. It's such a comfortable place being in front of the camera. You really are such a little baby. Everyone like, really cuddles <laughs> you and takes care of you. and um, It's a hard job, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's an easy job too compared to like the backbreaking work other people have to do. Um, so I, I, I think people are scared to make that leap. And so when someone does it, it is kind of, it's, it's becoming less and less rare, but like, I like to see an example of somebody like Greta, mm-hmm. I, I could just call her Greta, um, but <laughs> I like to see someone like her, um, who just does it. And like, it, I think there's this like myth that you have to like have gone to film school mm-hmm. and, you know, like a lot of the a lot of the podcasts that I listened to about film when I was prepping for this, I was just like, Oh my God, they're all, you know, white men. Like, right. Right. It scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. listening to them. Like, I'd be like, Oh my God, like I, they're not going to take me seriously. And <laughs> not only is that not true, but like, that's just a, it's just a, it's just a fear I think that you have because you don't see other examples. And so right. I hope that, me doing this can inspire not only other women, especially Asian women mm-hmm. who really don't believe that we have a voice and really believe that like it's just too hard. And I will tell you, yeah, it's hard. It was really hard producing and writing and directing and being in this movie, but at the same time, it was the best experience ever. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to do it again. Maybe not all of those things. <laughs> Right. But I can't wait to direct again. I can't wait to keep doing this. And I can't wait to keep like telling stories because I realized recently when I was watching Spike Lee talk, do a Q&A, mm-hmm. and I, I've always loved Spike Lee. And, and, but then I realized it wasn't that I wanted to be in a Spike Lee film. I mean, Spike, if you're listening, call me. But like, <laughs> I think it was more that I wanted to be Spike, you know? Mm-hmm. I wanted to have a voice in cinema that was unique. And that palpable and that specific. Right. And that was what I was wanting. Not to be part of his, you know, world, but to create a world of my own. Mm-hmm. And it, it hit me that, like, it's because I didn't even think it was possible. Mm-hmm. There's been nobody uh, in generations before us. Even though I've been directed by other female Asian-American directors before, it wasn't until I was an adult and as a child, mm-hmm. I just never, I never saw it. And so I really hope young Asian American women who see this movie or teenagers who are like going to go to film school are like, oh, yeah, normal. This is this is like totally normal. Well, I'm so glad you said that because I I feel like for me, you know, in speaking of Greta Gerwig, I literally had that moment um, last year back in like towards the end of 2019. I went to a private screening, actually, of Little Women. And there was a whole Q&A with everyone, Sersha and Timothy, and Greta was there. And just hearing her talk about it, I mean, for me, I'm someone who, you know, I, I'm young. I, ju- I just got out of school and I studied film, but also majored in journalism. And I've always been interested in writing and have wanted to write. But just over the past couple of years, it seemed like something that, you know, is not really gonna happen or (laughs) will happen and then I went to that Q&A and I literally just heard Greta talk it was just such a like morale booster for me that I literally after that I started writing like a little (laughs) a screenplay of my own and it's been like a little project that I've been working on but I, I totally agree with what you just said like 
really just seeing something that's possible for you and, you know, giving you that boost to, to go do it. Yeah. I love it. I love hearing that, 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 that inspired you. And I love hearing that you wrote and I hope you keep writing. Right. I know it's well now that we have nothing going on, but staying inside, (laughs) I have like all the time in the world. (laughs) So yeah, I'm going to keep at it. Good. I'm glad to hear that. But Lynn, thank you so much for coming on and, and for sharing your story with us. I'm, I'm so excited for people when it comes out to go and, and watch I Will Make You Mine. And, and hopefully for young writers out there, especially a lot of young female writers, they'll be an, encouraged to, you know, take take a leap of <laughs> a leap of faith and start a project of their own. Well, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I really I'm so glad you watched the movie and that you liked it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, thank you again. I really appreciate it. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Lynn. I was so inspired hearing about why she felt called to direct I Will Make You Mine and give the trilogy and the characters within it the closure they needed. Having seen the film, I think one of my favorite things about it is that these three women, Rachel, Erica, and Ye Ming, and the stages of their lives that they're in are so relatable to the feelings and experiences that women tend to encounter. So I highly encourage that you guys check out the film. I'm listing a link to the film site in the episode description where you can find out more information about Lynn, the film itself, and where you can stream I Will Make You Mine. Once again, thank you guys again so much for listening. And as always, let me know what you thought of the episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast. And feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I can't wait to see you next week with a brand new episode and the final part of our series, The Women of Film and Television. Until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.